Well, um, my name is Ben Kearns. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff. I don't know where that goes. Pastor of children and students. And uh, it's hard to believe I've actually been doing uh, pastoral ministry for almost 17 years. Is that crazy? I know I'm too young and good looking to be doing it for that long, but it's been that long. And uh, I think one of the interesting things about doing ministry for this long which isn't as long as art, because that's like forever, but still a decent amount of time, is you get this opportunity to walk uh, through life with people, both the joys and the sorrows and everything in between. And a week and a half ago, I had a really interesting uh, phone conversation. There's this friend of mine, his name's Brian, and um, he was a college kid when I was in, living in Washington. And uh, this kid was just one of those like uh, gifted college kids who loved God and want to serve God, and was a leader in his youth group, and worked at summer camp, went off to a Christian college, and majored in a ministry major, which I still don't think is necessarily the best major if you want to go to ministry, but that's for a different conversation. But he majored in ministry, worked at a summer camp, served God, and everyone that ever walked and was near this kid was like, this guy is a gifted pastor. He is going to be a gift to the church. And uh, after, after college, uh, he went on to seminary, and uh, finished seminary, and uh, had a great internships, had a great um, uh, time in a hospital doing some care there, and then graduated from seminary and started this call process, looking for the job where he was going to get to fulfill his dream of being a pastor. And, uh, and I love this kid, and we've been connected. He's not a kid, he's a young man now, but we've been connected for a long, long time, and I just so badly want him to be a pastor, and I always want my friends to be pastors on the West Coast. So anytime a job opens up in the West Coast, I'm calling my friends going, hey, you got to come and try this job. So this job shows up in the West Coast, and I call my friend Brian. I say, Brian, you have to come and apply for this job. I need you over here. You're an awesome pastor, and I need you. And, uh, and he would not return my phone calls. Week after week would not. Finally, I'm like, Brian, what is up? Call me back. What's going on? And a week and a half ago, we finally connected. And he goes, hey, um, thanks for your call, um, but I've dropped out of the call process. Like, what? How can you drop out of the call process? You're like one of the most gifted pastors I know. And, uh, and the conversation took this gigantic turn, which I wasn't expecting. And he begins to tell me that over the last couple of years, he's been wrestling with his sexuality. And he came to this conclusion that he's gay. And he doesn't know what that means for him and for his call to serve the church. And, uh, and as we're talking, he's telling me about some of his professors in seminary and some of his friends and how they've walked through that with him, uh, about how his church and how his own dad actually kind of shunned him and kicked him out. And, uh, and is at this place where he's like, I haven't given up on the church. I love God, but what do I do? And I was not ready. I was like eating cereal, you know, waiting. Like I thought I was just having cereal, having a nice conversation. I was not ready for that. But that's the question. He goes, so where's my place? And... Uh, and I was not ready for that conversation. And the more I thought about that conversation, and I just thought about this, this ministry calling that, that I've had this privilege to be a part of, the countless conversations I've had with people. When I was in Napa, I was brand new in ministry, and I was over at my pastor's house after a session meeting, a leadership team meeting, they called it a session meeting. And he comes home, and he's all dejected. And my wife and I are like, what's going on? And he's, he proceeds to tell us that one of the leadership team members, Linda, this dynamic woman who started going to seminary, who's trying to figure out her passion for this call for ministry, one of our most dynamic leaders, is leaving her husband and found a guy and, uh, who's going to fulfill her spiritually and is leaving the church and ministry and all of that. Um, 
like there's gazillions of those, right? I have a, this kid in my youth group who's an awesome, awesome worship leader, goes off to college, meets this guy, jumps off the bandwagon, and all of a sudden doesn't want anything to do with the church or God or any of that dumb make-believe stuff. And mom calls me up, what do I do? What do I do with my daughter? Uh, I get a call from a, one of my old youth group kids, one of the most promiscuous kids I've ever had. This kid loved to have sex. He was setting world records. And um, <laughs> count it. And um, so... He sets up, setting world records, um, but he was around my youth group, loved me, the whole deal, and uh, he, out of the blue one day, calls me up and says, hey, my girlfriend and I, we've been living together for a couple years, we're ready to get married, we want you to do it. What do I do? What is the task, what is the job of the pastor, of a ministry leader, when you live life, the dirtiness of life, the normal life, when you live life with people, and you're confronted with a situation like this, what are we supposed to do? And so I titled this sermon, What Are We Supposed to Do With These People? <laughs> and, and already, in my, in my title, you see my presupposition. It is those people, right? I have my junk together. I am God's vessel, and those people are messed up. And what do we do with those people? And the, the, all those stories I said were all people from before here, nine years old plus. That's how old those stories are. We could go on for hours with just stories and the people in this room, right? But the presupposition is, what do we do with those people? And, um, and what I love is in Jesus' time, it was exactly the same, right? There's ministry, there's people around, there's messy people, there's awful situations. And so badly, we just want to know, Jesus, what do I do? Tell me what to do and we will do it. How do we kick them out well? You know, how do we clarify this? How do we clean up the deal that's going on? And, uh, and it's in that context that Jesus, of course, says this parable, which is simple and yet profound. So if you, if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, and we're going to take a look at this parable. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who, showed, who sowed good field, sorry. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. Now when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, and the, weed, the weeds also appeared, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Well, the servants asked him, well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Now, this parable is very simple and straightforward and awfully challenging, because in the church, there's this kind of two ends of the spectrum that we want to live on. We want to live in the pure church where we all do the right thing all the time. And we will uproot like crazy so that there's this tiny remnant of those of us who are living in the truth of how we should live. And on the other end of the spectrum are the churches that just want to deal with grace. Let's just love and accept all people and it's all okay. But in the middle... Jesus somehow, because he's God's son, because he's the wisest person who's ever lived, found this way to live in this middle ground, which is awful and challenging, full of hope and warning. 
So that's what we're going to spend this morning looking at. But before we do, let's just kind of unpack this parable. What I mean, there's a couple different players that are going on here. First of all, there is the farmer, and the farmer is... Am I that boring already? The farmer is... Okay, just make sure we're chanting. All right, so you have the farmer. The farmer goes out, sows seed, and, uh, and, then there, there's the, and then you have this field with workers, wheat, weeds, and harvesters. All right, who are the workers? Well, I am. I'm the worker because I'm a pastor. You are the field. Exactly, everyone's laughing. Yeah, exactly. So this is what's interesting. The workers are the Christians who think they know what's going on between the wheat and the weeds. All of us in different seasons of our life think we're the workers. All of us in different seasons of our life see our fellow Christians and we look and go, oh, you're doing pretty good. You're a weed. Or you're a wheat. Or, oh, you're really screwing up. Ah, you're a weed. So all of us, if we think we know what's going on, we are the workers. But the truth is, we are not in this story. We are not the workers. All of us in this room, we are either the weeds or the wheat, right? The wheat is, uh, are the people who are sown by God, and uh, we are, um, and we're going to bear fruit, and we're going to bring glory to him. The wheat is sowed by, the wheat, this is so confusing, but you know what I'm saying. You're just going to figure out where I'm messing up. The weeds are sown by the enemy, and uh, they are people who have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting is, in this passage, you have the weeds and the wheat. For all you old school King James people, there was weeds and, remember the other word? Tares. You guys remember the word? I know this before my time. But in the actual scriptures, you have weeds and wheat. Wheat and weeds, you know what I'm saying. But what's interesting is the weeds are these things called darnel. They're not just weeds like you see in your, in your garden, like mustard or um, whatever kind of weeds are out there. This kind of weed is very specific. It is called a darnel. And what's interesting about a darnel is a darnel looks exactly like wheat. Darnell and wheat look exactly the same as they're growing. And to the common person, even to the workers in the field, they would have a hard time differentiating between the weeds and the wheat until at what point the heads actually showed up on the wheat. And when the heads show up on the wheat, here you can show this picture right here, um, a wheat, uh, there's one stalk and then you have the heads of wheat. This is our Darnell. There's one stalk and you have three or four. And see, it's different. That's a weed. And then you'd pull it up. But the problem is at this point, when it pops its head like this, if you pull, if you pull them up at that point, all of the roots are intertwined and you cause damage to the wheat as well as the weed. Okay, I'm gonna, all tongue-tied here, okay? And then finally, you have the harvesters. And the harvesters are not us. That's God. That's God and his angels. At some point, God's going to come through and, uh, and clean house. That's on him. But Jesus tells this parable because all of us want to look around, and I'm a, I'm a wheat for sure. And I'm probably a worker, and I go look around and see, you're, not, you're a weed, and I'm going to clean you out. But Jesus does not do that. He says, listen to me very carefully. Both need to grow together, and at the end, uh, the harvesters will come and clean up shop. So we're just going to unpack this passage of Scripture really briefly, and then we're all going to weep and mourn because there's some good news and bad news for all of us in it, okay? So first of all, let's start out with this. Um, here's this reality. We only see a moment in time. This is an awful reality. We all think when we look around and see each other, we know what's going on. I see you. I see your life. I see the awful choice you're making. I see the great choice you're making. I think I know everything about you because I've seen you in this moment of time. Right, even if I've seen you for the last 10 or 15 years, it is still 
this moment in time. And I, what I love about this parable about the weeds and the wheat is before the fruit, before the harvest, they look exactly the same. And so we can't tell who is a weed and who is a wheat in this moment of time because it is only a moment of time. And I love Scripture because in Scripture, every single person in Scripture has these stories where they do these great things for God and they totally screw up, right? Abraham, the father of faith, he's so awesome, except he has such low character. When he goes to Egypt, he doesn't want to die because he has, you know, his wife Sarah is really beautiful and he thinks, oh my, they're going to kill me and take my wife if they know that we're married. So instead he goes, oh, she's my sister. You go sleep with her. It's great. Like, he, like that's, that's the father of faith, Abraham total shyster, you know? That's what he was doing. He's like, I don't want to, I want to live, I don't care what happens to my wife. That's basically what happened in that story. And yet he's lifted up as the father of faith. But if we only saw Abraham in that moment of time, we'd be like, that guy's a weed. He's awful. What is, what kind of man would do that to his wife? Um, every story is like that. Um, David is my favorite. Everyone, oh, David, he's so awesome. He, he slays uh, Goliath. Yeah, he has like this one moment of glory, and then he's basically the most dysfunctional husband and father of all time, and his kids be, have this giant civil war because he's a total wusses out as a dad, and uh, his, his, his sons end up warring against each other and dying, and the whole kingdom is divided forever because of David. That's the hero of our faith. Yeah, David. But we think of this moment, you are, you're the best. You're, you're God's man. You're a weed. I mean, a wheat. Or then you're a weed, right? We can't tell. I love, uh, and Peter's the same way. Peter is so bold in his faith all the time. And then he's the one who boldly denies Jesus. He boldly denied Jesus, runs back home, becomes a fisherman, hangs up his hat, goes, that disciple thing was fun. I'm back to my old life. And if, depending on what moment we see people, Right? We, we just, as the workers, we go, oh, obviously, he's one of God's people. He's a wheat. Oh, obviously, I was mistaken. He's a weed. But life is so long, and God is involved in our life for every moment all along the way. And what's interesting about your life, I mean, I'm hoping it's like your life because it's like mine, is that every moment of my life, depending on what slice you pick up, you're going to see God doing huge and great, amazing things, and you're going to see a broken, sinful, messed up person in my whole life. And I have way more lives to go still, you know? And we, as um, the people of God, as a church, need to just step off it a little bit and step back and realize we only see this moment. We're going to hear awful stories about each other. We're going to hear these things that are going on in the lives of people. And before we just drop the hammer of truth on them, or before we just give them grace and not worry about it, we need to realize that there is a whole string of life that has led to that moment, and there's a whole string of life after that moment that God has to work and to redeem. And that is hard, hard news, because I feel like in this moment, I know exactly what's going on, and I know exactly what you need to hear. But Jesus tempers us and says, no, you only see for this moment. Um, what I think is interesting is what Jesus says. He says, they said, the enemy did this. Do you want us to go and pull them up? Jesus replies, no. Because why are you pulling up the weeds? You may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. This does not make sense to me in the world. But Jesus, very clearly, his directive to us is that both need to grow together. That feels really unsafe to me. What message are we sending to our kids if we let certain behavior slide, right? What, be, what are we telling our kids if that person still teaches in Sunday school knowing what's going on with them? It is a challenge, right? 
And if we want to be the pure church with just one of us, which would just be me, or the, the gracious church with, who cares, we don't care at all, well, that doesn't work either. But if we want to live in this balance of truth and grace, what are we to do? And Jesus says we have to let them both live together. What I think is interesting, my favorite story in all of Scripture is the prodigal son. And the, and the son in the story, right, he goes to the dad and he says, Dad, drop dead. Give me all my stuff. I want to leave. I'm out. And you would think a good father would be like, no. He would drop the hammer and go, do you know what you're doing? Do you know who I am? Everything I've ever given is for you. I'm the dad. You're the dumb kid. I'm not doing that. Or fine, you can have it, but drop dead. You're dead to me, right? We have all those things. That's how we would normally behave. And yet God, the heavenly father in that picture goes, okay, here's your stuff. And that is a hard, hard lesson. We want that done to us for sure. But when those people who have wronged us and wronged our friends come to us, we so badly want to drop the hammer on them. And Jesus says, we have to let them grow together. And that's dirty work. And I don't even fully get how that works. And there's all sorts of complexities. But it's so complex that I know that we cannot just have a simple answer. We cannot have a simple policy that works for all Christians in our community of how we're going to live together, which means we have to be discerning and wise and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit because every context, every situation, every story is different and nuanced and just enough that we have to actually slow down and listen to what's going on there. And so when you think about what are we to do with these people? What are we to do with them? Both of these answers so far aren't helpful, right? We see only a moment. That's great. That's philosophical. And we must let them both grow up together. That still doesn't help us because here is the awful reality. What are we supposed to do with these people? There's all, the great philosopher kind of sums it up the best. Ice Cube, in his debut album in 1993, <laughs> he said this. You have to check yourself before you. That is the simple truth. And in case you're not familiar with Ice Cube or the colloquial term about it, I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary, and this is what it says. If you want to check yourself before you wreck yourself... You need to take a step back, examine your own actions because you are in a potentially dangerous or sticky situation that could get bad very easily. And I think Ice Cube is exactly right. Ice Cube and Jesus are down right now together because <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the harvesters are going to come. Right? At the end of the day, the harvesters are going to come. And we are not the harvesters. We are either the wheat or the weeds. And so we have, we, we have this choice of what we're going to do. And the first thing we need to realize is that it is not your job or my job to purify the church. It is not our job to make sure the church is pure for all time. We can die to that right now. What a freeing thing to realize, oh, it is not my responsibility to make sure all of you are perfect like me. That's an awesome freedom. That is a great freedom. And so when I realize that it is not my responsibility, then therefore I don't need to like be all hopped up with my sickle ready to like, you know, harvest and pull wheat and just cause death and destruction all around me. That is not my job. But the second part that I need to realize is, is, this, is this hard part the last verse says here. Let both go together and tell the harvest because at that time I will tell the harvesters first collect the wheat, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Because here's the awful truth. The awful truth is that someday 
there's going to be a reckoning. At some day, the harvesters are going to come through and they're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and go and be with God forever. And the weeds, sorry, you're going to be burned, thrown away, discarded. Like that will happen someday. That is God's deal. That's how God works it out. Thankfully, it's not on me. I don't have to figure that out. How cool. I don't have to figure that out. You don't have to figure that out. But there will be a reckoning. And if there will be a reckoning, then the real responsibility on what do we do in this messy church, what do we do in this field that is so full of weeds and wheat all growing together, what do we do? And the deal is that we don't, it's not on us to be pulling the weeds. And we need to realize that there will be a reckoning. And so the final thing is simply this that we must do the hard spiritual work ourselves. The task for us in this church and for Christians is for us to do the hard spiritual work. That is ours. We have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. That's what my friend Ice Cube would say. So what does that mean to do the hard spiritual work? I have four or five things will be really quickly and then we'll be all done. Don't worry, these aren't all like sermon points. They're just little helpful things for you to do and for me to do. The first thing is really simple. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What an interesting discipline it would be for us to not go, I'm at church. I'm here. I'm a good person. I haven't been arrested lately. Like, it's all good. What if we actually examined, is this faith real? Is our faith real? Is it, is it just an intellectual thing? Is it just a good moral thing? Or are we actually working out this touchy-feely, messy, complicated faith where we trust Jesus with our lives? It's a test. We have to test ourselves. We would, it's much better to test yourselves now than at the very end go, oops, I guess I missed it, right? I've been at church my whole life. I even gave a little bit to the building campaign. That is not what Jesus wants. He wants us to test, to examine. It is hard spiritual work to examine ourselves, to wrestle with, to make sure that this faith of ours is real. So we have to work out our own faith. The second thing we have to do is live in community. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So if you want to make sure that this faith is real, if you want to make sure that you are truly a wheat, you have to work out your faith, and you do that by living in community. Almost every horror story that I hear as a pastor begins with someone taking a step back from community. Being, I don't really need this right now. I don't need you in my life. I don't need, and then no one would ever say that because we're all nice you know, people. But it's just this gradual step back, this gradual isolation where people just begin to make up their own choices in their own lives. And all of a sudden, by the time some good Christian worker comes in and says, hey, you should consider blah, blah. They're like, you don't know me. You don't have anything to say to me. But you have to know that that usually almost always starts with the person who is stepping back and moving away from community. Because when we move away from community, it goes to the third thing that we need to do. We have to seek counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. All of us think we're wise. All of us listen to our own advice all of the time. What I think is interesting, and 
I mean, you probably don't do this, only, only myself and whoever asks me for advice do this, is we don't really want advice. We have something that we think we want to do, and then what we do is we round up the troops and find people who agree with us. And we always say it like, you think this is the right thing, right? And then they go, yes. See, everyone agrees with me. And all, I mean, it's no joke. Every time I've ever been asked for advice, even when I seek advice myself, no one wants advice. We all want to do what we want to do, and we simply find people who will agree with what we want. That's what the fool does. The wise person seeks advice. Of all the people I know, I could probably name on one hand the people who genuinely seek advice, the people who genuinely go, I'm not sure what to do here. What do you really think? Help me figure this out. That is a rare thing. And, um, and like I said, my, it might just be rare for me and my people, but something to consider. So if we are going to make sure that we are wheat, we have to work out our faith, we must live in community, we must seek counsel, we must be teachable and humble. James 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. This deal is all of us go, I can tell God that I'm a sinful person and that's the end of the deal. But if we're going to live in community, we have to bear our souls with one another. Because if not, all we do is put on our good churchy front in front of each other, live life and pretend that we're doing fine when until we, until the, we get in big trouble and our lives crumble apart. You have to know that myself, Art, Jeff, our pastoral team takes this incredibly serious. The amount of people that are our safety net so that we don't do dumb things, I mean, we still do dumb things, but as dumb of things, we go to spiritual direction, we go to therapy, we have people holding us accountable, we have people locking our Facebooks and iPads so we don't see messed up stuff on the internet. We are willing to submit ourselves to people we have people holding us accountable. We have people who are our confessors so that we are teachable and humble. Because if we don't, then we are going to mess ourselves up, our family up, our church up. But that's not just for us. All of us need to be in that. All of us hold positions of influence and authority over some people. And unless we are doing the hard work, we are missing it. And the last thing is really simple. It's not simple, but it sounds simple. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus simply says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross daily and follow me. At the end of the day, the wheat are people who pick up their cross and follow Jesus daily. They are not good religious people. They're not people who do good stuff most of the time, who are generous with their time or money. The wheat are people who work out their faith daily, who die to their flesh, who confess their sins, who have grace for those around us. It is a hard and difficult calling, but when we do that, we get to be this field that brings honor and glory to Jesus. And my prayer for myself, for our staff team, for our church, is that we would truly be a field where the wheat and weeds grow together. It is a messy and dirty context in which we do ministry. And it is not our job to purify the church, but we must remind one another that there will be a judgment, there will be a time when God sorts it all out, and it is on you to work out your faith. And anytime you need a spiritual friend, 
a counselor, a, someone who's to walk with you in any of that, you need to know that your church staff, your leadership team, ministry leaders in this church, our dream and hope is to walk with people to move more towards Christ, not to be reapers, but to walk with people towards that. Let me pray for us in our time, and then uh, we will call it quits. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are incredibly gracious. And we seem to go back and forth along this pendulum of wanting truth for others and grace for ourselves. And yet you are the perfect balance of truth and grace. You are slow to anger. You are patient. You are overflowing with love and mercy to the last possible moment. But God, may we not take your grace and mercy as a license that you do not care, that your holiness does not matter, and that you are a God who is distant and and truth doesn't matter. God, you are the perfect expression of truth and grace. And may we as a church live in that complexity. May we as a church be people who strive to be weed with all of who we are and make grace for those who we think are weeds. You know what I meant. Be gracious to me. Be gracious to my friends. And may we all daily pick up our cross and follow you so that we may be a field that gives you honor and glory both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.